Luke chapter 18 this morning. Luke 18, we are continuing our study of the parables. And I hope by now you've figured out that Jesus is quite a storyteller. Um, he knows how to craft a good story. And, and today's story is no different. Stand with me as we read from Luke 18. We will start by reading verses 1 through 5. Luke 18, 1 through 5. This is God's word. And if you let it, it will change your life. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Pray with me. Father, help us to learn from the story of the persistent widow. Help us to learn from the words of the unrighteous judge, as after all, we are really learning from the very words of the righteous judge, your son, worthy, worthy, worthy is he. Open our hearts to hear your word, our minds to understand it, and our wills to accomplish it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Jesus is quite a storyteller, and he knows how to craft a good story. He is, he is adept at finding the situation, looking at the situation in front of him and saying, well, this is the lesson they need to learn. How can I put it into a way that they can't even argue with it? <laughs> None of Jesus' stories you find are arguable. None of them are didactic in the sense of finely tuned arguments that someone can disagree with this premise or disagree with this assertion or disagree with this conclusion. It's not like that. When Jesus crafts a story, it's obvious to all what he's trying to say. Now, usually it goes something like this. First, there's some kind of context. There's a situation, somebody says something, or there's somebody that needs healing, or something happens, and it sparks the story. And then Jesus tells the story, and then at the end of it, he gives us a general principle, and then we know, oh, okay, now I understand what the story's about. Okay? That's usually the way that Luke sets up these parables. But this time he does something a little different. Look in chapter 18, verse 1. Instead of waiting to the end to tell us what the parable's about, he just tells us right up front. He says, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. So we know coming into this that he is talking about not stopping in our prayer, persistently praying. This isn't the point. This isn't the only time Jesus makes the point. Uh, er earlier, uh, he says some... Uh, Maybe you've heard this. Uh, ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be open to you. Well, he's not saying just ask. He's saying keep on asking. Don't just seek. Keep on seeking. Don't just knock. Keep on knocking. Right? Because it's in not only just in the asking or in the seeking or in the knocking, it's in the continuing of those things that we find what we're looking for. It's not just in the coming once and asking the question and then suddenly we are all all right. We all know exactly what's going on. It's in the continuing. It's in the constantly doing it. And Luke says here that Jesus is telling the story to the effect 
that we will continue to pray, that we will not stop praying, but keep going and not lose heart. And so we expect, now, okay, the parable is going to teach us that we should keep on praying. All right? Let's look at the parable now. In, in doing so, he gives us two characters. Verse 2 is our first character. And he said, in a certain city, by the way, that's a common thing that he does. He just says, in a certain city, there was a certain man. He uses that frequently as if to say, now this is a very specific city. This is a very specific man. Don't just think generalities. Think about this one specifically. Focus your eyes. There's a certain man or a certain city. There was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This first, this first character, all right, let's just ask right off the top, hero or villain? Villain. Why do you say villain? Well, he gives us the reasons, doesn't he? He said he didn't fear God. Now, that's bad to start with. And he didn't respect men. He's setting up this character, this judge, as being someone that you're not going to identify with. In fact, who is he talking to? Well, you have to go back into chapter 17 to find it. But chapter 17, verse 20 tells us that he was being asked by the Pharisees. And so now, these Pharisees, he's setting up a character that even the Pharisees say, I don't like this guy. These are guys that claimed they didn't quite always. There were some who did, but who claimed to be fearing God. They claimed to be the ones that feared God. I mean, these were the ones, they didn't just do the law. They did above and beyond the law. They fasted twice a week. The law didn't even say you had to fast once a week. I mean, these were the guys that went above and beyond. When the law said, don't work on Saturday, the Pharisees said, we got to define work. You can't pull a string. You can't go any farther than, than three quarters of a block, right? Unless you tie a big rope around a whole bunch of city blocks, and then you can count that as one, one block. These were the guys that nitpicked the details to try to figure out what exactly constitutes filling the law. How do I know that I'm fulfilling the law? These were men who thought of themselves as fearing God. Now, something that nobody could disagree with was that they certainly respected men, right? These were the ones that were inviting the honored guests to their feast so they would gain in honor themselves. These were the ones who sought the praise of other men who wore the bells on the bottoms of their robes so that when they were walking around, people would hear them coming. They would say the loud prayers in the city squares so that people would know that they're holy that would fast in sackcloth and ashes so that you know that they are fasting. These are the ones that are doing a lot of what they do for show because they look for the respect of men. And they're also the ones that give respect to men. They would pay on and on and on going uh, uh, adulations to certain individuals. It wasn't just, it's good to see you, we're glad, we're glad you, you are here they would have gone out of their way to say nice things about their honored guest so that they could look like they were respectful. This is a character that they can't identify with and really a character that you don't want to identify with. This is a guy who doesn't care. We have words for that today. I'll save them. I'm sure you can come up with them on your own. This is a guy that you just wouldn't want to be friends with, let alone be associated with. 
Well, that's the first character. There's another character, verse 3. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. The second character is quite different. The first one has power. The second one is powerless. The first one seems to be only interested in himself. The second one, well, she was poor, most likely, because she was a widow. Most widows were. And she's certainly oppressed. This word for adversary is not just someone who's against you. It's someone who's accusing you. It's, not, it's a plaintiff. She has, been, she has been wrongfully accused of a crime that she did not commit and now is being brought to the judge and is seeking for this judge. How would you like to have this judge in your court case? Seeking for this judge to make it right. Seeking for this judge to grant her justice. I got to tell you, it doesn't look too good for the widow at, at first, does it? So verse 4, for a while he refused. No surprise there, right? Because he doesn't care. He doesn't care about God. Doesn't matter to him whether he's doing what's right or not. He could care less about what God says. He doesn't fear God. Now, I could, I could just stop right there. I could, as a, as a former preacher I heard one, one say, I could just put a quarter in the parking meter and sit on that for a little while. Because there's a lot of us who might think that we fear God, but in reality, we act like we don't fear him at all. That our lives do not match what we say is true. We say, oh yes, I want to honor God. Yes, I want to follow him. Yes, I want to serve him. Yes, I am his child. And then we look like Satan's fawn instead of his fawn. We look like Satan's sons instead of his sons, don't we? Because we act completely different. We don't act like we fear God. We act like we do whatever we want, and it doesn't really matter. And, and well, I'll just ask God for forgiveness later when I, when I care. Right now, I don't care. I'm just going to do whatever I want. There are people today that are more concerned about what someone else says about them than what God says about them. And if, I, and if I'm honest with you, there are times when I look in the mirror and I see one of those who's guilty. Because it's so much easier to look for the awards and the accolades and the praise of men than the praise of God. It's so much easier to hear in the here and now from someone that you're face to face to that you did a good job than it is to wait for well done my good and faithful servant. It's so much easier. It's so much easier to get the praise of men than to hold out and do what's right and wait for the praise of God. I could... I could sit on that for a little while. But I think you get the point, don't you? Do you not get the point? I can preach more. You got it, okay. Even Daryl got it, so we should be good. The fact is, this judge doesn't care about God, so there's no real reason for him to grant justice. And now, it would be different if he would respect men. and He'd say, you know what? I don't really care about God, but I'm just going to do what's right for this widow, just for her sake. But he doesn't care about her either. He doesn't care that someone who's poor and oppressed is being falsely accused. That doesn't concern him. What's that got to do with me? See, this judge, he's so self-centered, he can't see anyone else. Everyone else just exists for him. I mean, he gets paid no matter what he rules. In fact, he might even get paid more to rule against this woman. This is a guy who doesn't care about anybody else. Whatever's in my best interest. But... Afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, I doubt he said those words out loud. 
But Jesus is having him say those words because he wants to drive home this point. It's not because I want to do what's right. It's not because I want to honor God. It's not because I want to treat this widow fairly. But yet because this widow keeps bothering me, she's nagging me, nagging me, nagging me. I just got to get her off my case because she keeps bothering me. I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. Do you hear the persistence in that verse? Because she keeps bothering me so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming, time after time after time, day after day, week after week. It wasn't like our court system where, sorry, I didn't mean to say cult. (laughs) I really didn't. It's only one letter difference, right? By our court system, there are certain dates. You come before a judge on a certain date, and you have a hearing, and then the judge sets another date for a future hearing or for the trial to start, or for whatever to go on after that. If you don't like it, if you get a verdict that you don't like, you have to appeal, and then it goes maybe to that same judge, maybe to a different judge. Maybe it goes to a panel of three judges. It just depends on where you are in the courts and what kind of case it is. But there, you don't get the chance to come every day. In this day, that's not how it happened. The judge would sit at an important spot in the city, usually near the city gate or in some place that is specifically designated for the adjudication of trials. This judge would sit there and people would come up to him and as they came up to him, and every day he would watch this same woman come up to him and he'd think, oh great, here she is again. Oh man, not her again. When is she going to learn? No, please, you've, you have been here every day for the last month. Don't you, don't you have something better to do? Isn't there something else? Can't you, don't you have some housework or some kind of, some kind of uh, gleaning in the fields or something to do? What are you bothering me for? And finally, he says, you know what? I can't take this anymore. She is going to wear me down. I may as well just go ahead and give her justice. This is one of those cases where you think, well, I may not like the motives, but at least they got the right decision. If for nothing else but his own self-interest, he's willing to give her justice. At least it's the right decision. All right, verse 6. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. All right, now, the end, right? Okay, all this guy do is give us some kind of general principle like, like, likewise you also should continue in prayer and not give up, seeing that the Father will grant your request. Something along those lines, right? And that's it. Jesus doesn't do that. Look at verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Now, we don't expect this. You might think of God in many different ways, but unrighteous judge probably doesn't top the list of your great theological analogies, right? But yet... Jesus is saying, if even an unrighteous judge who's only acting in his own self-interest can grant justice, don't you know God's going to do it? Don't you know that the righteous judge will judge righteously? And not just take his dear sweet time. He's not going to delay. He's going to do it speedily, quickly. Now, it doesn't feel quick to us, does it? No. How often have we waited for God and waited for God to say, come on, hurry up, God. (laughs) Any day now. Any day now, you can just wipe out all this evil. 
Any day now you could just make the world right. Any day now that you want to start that revival, I sure, I'm sure ready for it. Any day. Just whenever you want to do that, God. But you know, when you're mistreated, when you're facing oppression, when you're wrongfully accused, when others are reviling you and persecuting you and saying all manner against you, of evil against you falsely, for my name's sake, that, that sounds familiar to me. Where that come from? You can trust that God will grant you justice in his way and in his time. When, when God was speaking to Habakkuk, Habakkuk is complaining about all the sins of Israel. And God says, all right, fine, I'll send the Babylonians. And he's like, what? The Babylonians? They're even worse. <laughs> and he's like, God, you, I'm, I'm going to stand here and I'm going to demand an answer of you. You have to do justice. You cannot let this injustice go on. And God says, all right, he says, write the vision, make it plain, so that he who runs with it will not stumble. The day is coming. Though it lingers, wait for it, for it shall come, and surely not delay. And then God opens up what he's going to do to tell Habakkuk, all right, you want to know my plan? Here's my plan. But don't hold your breath. You won't be holding it long. Don't, don't bother with that. Just write it down, send it with runners, because it's happening. It's not just something, let me back up just a second. In that day, the way they got news from the battlefield to back to headquarters or back to the king or back to whoever or, or out and about. So, so to other nations and, and to other peoples, to the, to the ones who needed to know, the way that they got the word out was there would be runners who would watch what was happening. And as soon as something big happened, as soon as the foreign king was destroyed, or as soon as the wall was broken through, or as soon as whatever happened took place, they would immediately start running. So if, if you're being taken, you send out runners immediately to say, people are trying to overtake us, come help us, right? You're sending out word. There was no telephone, there were no text messages or, or Facebook chat groups or anything like that. So you couldn't just do it electronically. You had to have somebody running at full speed or riding on some kind of animal to get word out. God says, it's already happening. Go ahead and send the runners because it's already started. It ain't going to be long. And now here, we see a promise that God will do justice for his children, his people. And it's almost that same urgency of go ahead and send the runners because it's already started. You may not see it. I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't see it very well either. I went to the eye doctor the other day. She says my eyes are good, but I still can't see God's plans. Not, not in their totality. I can see some things he's doing. I can see evidence of his working. I can see some things where we're going. In fact, we're going to be talking about some things that I see in just the next month. We're going to start talking about those things. But I can't see his whole plan. I see a little bit, bits and pieces here and there, and I see Jesus winning in the end. Only because he told me in Revelation. We're going to talk about that tonight. I don't see all the details. Even with good vision, I don't see all the details. It's okay not to see all the details. That's fine. When he says, my word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, he's not talking about uh, one of those one million candela lights that, that the hunters use in the forest to try to spot things. And, and No, he's not talking about anything like that. He's not talking about giant lights. He's talking about a little tiny oil lamp that would barely light three feet in front of you. Just enough room to take the next step. Just enough room to know where you're going. 
He may not provide you with this clear vision of everything before you. He may only give you just one step in front of you. That doesn't mean the plan ain't working. That doesn't mean that he isn't fulfilling his work. My word will not return to me void, this God says, but will do everything that I sent it out to do. It will accomplish everything for which I've sent it. There's not one thing that God wants to do that he will not accomplish. And there's not one thing that he wants to do that he's going to do a day late because he missed the deadline, because he got sick at the last minute, or because his computer crashed and he lost the file, or because of any other reason that we miss our deadlines. There wasn't a traffic jam on the way into work that morning. Those things don't affect God. He does what he does in his way, in his time, and there's nobody, nothing in this universe that can stop him. Which leads us to the real point of the parable. You thought this was a parable about praying without ceasing and, and not losing heart. Yeah, Luke, Luke kind of made you think that, didn't he? And it sure seems like that's the way the story was heading. But Jesus is a master storyteller. And at the very end, he introduces the twist that makes this stick. You know, there's sometimes when Jesus talks and you're like, yeah, go get him. And then he says something and it hits you between the eyes and you're like, oh, I didn't see that coming. Look at 8b, the last part of verse 8. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now, this is a God that we have just discussed is powerful enough to do whatever he wants to do. This is a God who will guarantee you that he will grant you justice and do it in the right amount of time. He's not going to delay. He's not going to tear. He's not going to be held up. He's going to do it his way in his time, and he's going to do it perfectly because he's God. And we know that with absolute certainty. But are we willing to actually trust him to do it? That's the point of the parable. This woman is willing to trust a judge that doesn't care a lick about her or a lick about God. And she's willing to trust him to do justice. And we think, well, God, I can't trust you. I'm going to have to take this in my own hands. You want something done right? you got to do it yourself. God, you're not working fast enough for me. Abraham, God, I'm almost 100. Sarah's almost 90. I don't know about the son you promised us. He took it into his own hands. Adam and Eve in the garden. He goes all the way back there. God, you say we can eat from anything but this one tree, but I really just want this one tree. How do I know you're not just hiding something from me? You know what's ironic? The serpent was right. God was holding back from them. But what he's holding back wasn't good. It was bad. Maybe we're more like David, not doing what we're supposed to do, sitting around the castle when kings should be going to war, looking out over the kingdom, probably a little bit proud. Look at, look at all this that I've done. Next thing you know, he's killing a guy to get his wife. And everybody knows it. God, you're not, I, I can't, you've already given me so much, but it's not enough. I've got to have her too. Maybe the point that God is trying to get across to us is that if you can trust even the most faithless, most unrighteous of judges to give you justice. How can you not trust me? How can you not trust me? So the question isn't, will God grant justice? The question isn't, can we trust God to grant justice? The question is, will we? Father, may we live persistent in prayer, knowing and trusting that you will do right. 
In this time of invitation, God, I pray that if we haven't been trusting you, maybe maybe it's, it's with a small matter. Maybe there's just a situation in our life that we've taken into our own hands, thinking we can handle it on our own, or thinking maybe you're just taking too long, or trying to do the right thing, but getting ahead of you. Father, will you remind us that you're trustworthy enough that we don't have to take it into our own hands because vengeance is yours, because justice belongs to you, because you will certainly do what's right and do it in the right time. Help us trust you. Maybe it's not the little things. Maybe it's the big thing. Maybe we have been so busy trying to work and earn your favor. Maybe we have been so working so hard, doing so many things, attending so many services and, and giving so much money and, and doing all of the things that we're supposed to be doing to try to earn a seat at your table. And we failed to realize that not only have we not earned a seat at your table, but we've earned for ourselves eternal separation from you. Father, would you turn our hearts to you? Help us to trust you to quit relying on our own efforts, to quit relying on what we think we need to do. To quit relying on me and start relying on you fully, wholeheartedly. Father, would you help us trust you in this invitation you bid us to come. Lord, help us come. Bid us come. Compel us to come and trust you. Amen.